Let's read Matthew chapter 16, verse number 24, and it reads as follows. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. Whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Let's pray for again today's message. Dear God, thank you for gathering us here in your house to hear your word, to hear your message, to honor, to glorify you, to sing your praises, to fellowship with one another, to really be in your house today, this morning, to feel your love, your spirit, your everything. Lord, be with this congregation now as we try to do that. Be with me as I try to share your word, share your message, and share this time together with everyone. And pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we get to today's message, the message I wanted to give three months ago, talking about the duties of a Christian inside a church, but actually we got sidetracked because we tried to talk about, well, what's the church first? Something really elementary, but something that we need to remind ourselves every once in a while. Maybe because we've forgotten, maybe because some of us are new, maybe because some of us are like you college folks going off to college soon, may have to find a new church, right? When you go off to your new town, new city, always bears reminding and repeating this important stuff about what is God's standard? What does God have to say about his church? The church, after all, as we said many times already, is just referring to all Christians, right? All Christians make up the church. It's the people. The church is the people. But we also know that the people are divided into separate local assemblies that theoretically should all be under Jesus Christ. And should all be praising him the same way, and worshiping him the same way, and honoring the same way, but we know that is not the case. So we talked about in recent times, well, what are the characteristics that make up an ordinary, regular church, right? What should you look for when you look at what is the church supposed to be like? And what should the standard here be when we say, what should this church be like? Some of you guys raised a good point. You ask the question, you say, Norman, you've been rambling on and on about the ordinary church, about the church and all this stuff. Are you saying that Chinese Bible church is like the best church because we hit all these standards, right? The answer is absolutely not. No. There's no as I've said repeatedly, there is nothing special about this church. We do not have the greatest speakers in the world. We do not have the greatest building in the world. We do not have the best education or get the most people saved or anything, right? In fact, the why reason, part of the reason why we give this message is to encourage us to be better, to be more like a better church or whatever, right? But to also remind us to meet that standard. I will say that Chinese Bible Church is what? An ordinary church. I'm glad to say we at least meet the minimum standard. What does Nathan always say? We have high standards, right? We at least meet the minimum, right? And I'm proud to say that we do that. I'm not going to say that we're the best or we're better than somewhere else. I think there's a lot of stuff we could be better at, right? Certainly. And we keep striving for that. But we also know there's a lot of churches out there that do not even meet the bare minimum nowadays, right? That the world has changed so much, the focuses have changed so much, they've lost sight on what's important. They've lost sight on what God says is important. What does God say is important? Let's run down these four things really quickly here as we do our recap. Number one, the ordinary church is Christ-centered. 
You can't have a church without Christ at the very top. It's got to be all about Jesus. People can't ever complain. Oh, you talked about Jesus too much in your church. That'd be ridiculous. Of course we're talking about Jesus. We talk about Jesus all the time. All about Jesus dying on the cross for our sins. Jesus being the head of the church. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. It's all about Jesus. You know what it's not about? It's not about you. Some churches nowadays, they want to make it about you. This is a special experience for you. You, the visitor. No, 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 no. We're here to do God's will. Why are we here? It's not for my sake. It's not for anything special about me. It's for God. We're obeying God. We're honoring God. We're doing what He wants. This is Jesus' church. Any church that says otherwise, that says this is a special thing for you and we're going to do this a fantastical thing for you, promises you great things, that's wrong. The church ought to be promising Jesus great things, right? We're going to do what's great for Jesus and uplift Jesus. And by the way, when that happens, we all get uplifted too, right? Number two, ordinary church communicates the truth. Not only do we have Jesus as our head and Jesus as the center, his word is the center, right? That the Bible is preeminent. It's not about any other thing that people might say or might teach, right? Any other book, any other teaching, those are superfluous, right? It's not the Book of Mormon, right? It's not your Jehovah's Witness white watchtower uh, pamphlet. It's not any other thing. It is the Bible, plain and simple. That's our guide. That is what we're supposed to follow. That is God's own word. We believe it. We honor it. We hold it. We treasure it. We don't come to church to learn about other stuff, right? You learn about other stuff when you go to school and work or whatever, right? You don't come here for history lessons. You don't come here to hear the story about my vacation or whatever. You come here to hear God's word. That's what church is for, is it? This is the place for it. If the church starts rambling on about all these other extraneous things, they're doing it wrong. They're doing it wrong. It's not about all this other stuff. It's about God's word. You should always be focused on God's word. And nothing else. Really, nothing else. If you're hearing the words of Norman and Norman's opinion, those are worthless. They don't count for anything. If you're hearing Norman talk about what's God's opinion, what he says in this book, those are priceless. Those are true. Those are everlasting. Number three, the ordinary church is disconnected from worldly things. The things of the world belong to the world. The things of God are of God. We're in the world, but not of the world. We don't care what's going on out there. We're not concerned about what's going on out there. We're concerned with following God and Jesus and doing what he says is right and doing his ministry and his work and his evangelism and his stuff. The church is not a vehicle for social activism, political activism. How many churches have fallen into this and just all got caught up with all these things? I saw in the news recently, the famous Glide Memorial Church, right? In, uh, in San Francisco. You know, what are they famous for? Well, they're not famous for preaching God's word. They're famous for, you know, feeding the poor and doing all these things. That the Methodist congregation that's supposed to be heading up that church is saying that they want to go and bar that pastor because he's not doing God's work, even though he's so famous, right? That he's been the pastor so many years or whatever like that. They're saying, oh, we want to we suspend this church or whatever because they're not doing God's work, right? 
You say, Norman, they're doing so many good things. They're helping the poor. They're helping the, the hungry, the homeless, this and that. That's not God's mission. That's not God's mission. God's mission is based on his word. Those are good things. Social activism, political activism, those will all be good things, right? But it doesn't fit what God wants us to do, right? People are going, jumping up and down recently. You see in the news about this, uh, oh, we want to have a new Supreme Court justice. It's going to overturn Roe versus Wade. Are we going to go and jump up and down and campaign and get politically active? The answer is no. To me, I would say, who cares? Who cares if it gets overturned or not? Why is that? Even if it gets overturned, People will just go get abortion somewhere else, right? It will still happen. What's the way to eliminate things like abortions and to really solve all these problems in the world? The way is the Bible way. It's get people saved, right? This is what Melvin says all the time, right? If people were saved, you wouldn't have all these problems. You wouldn't need to fight for racial equality. You wouldn't have to fight against abortion and all these other things like that. You wouldn't need to have political activism because people would know the right answer already. People would honor God. People would obey God. So the church shouldn't waste its time doing all these extraneous things. The church should be focused on doing God's work, God's ministry. Any church that does otherwise, that wastes its time doing all those other things just to uh, impact some social change that's minor and temporary here on the earth, they're focused on the wrong thing. We should be focused on the everlasting thing, heaven, God's kingdom. That's the focus of the church. Finally, the ordinary church is marked by conflict. Conflict, right? And this is a surprising thing, right? But we Christians are in war. We're at war against Satan. We ought to have conflict. We ought to be standing up for what God stands for, for his word, for his teaching, his righteousness, his salvation. If you go into church and their main focus is to keep people happy and not offend people, guess what? A lot of times those type of churches, they're doing the wrong thing because they're being scared of the truth. They're being scared of standing up for God and what the Bible stands for. Oh, we don't want to offend anybody. That's why we can't say anything bad about the homosexuals. We'll let the homosexuals become the pastor now. There's churches that allow that. Why is that? Oh, we don't want to get a bad impression. We don't want people to think we're, you know, these uh, you know, bad people. So we just let it slide. Ah, oh, that's the way it goes nowadays, right? That's the attitude that some churches have adopted. We don't want to get people upset. How much so? That we compromise our belief. We compromise on everything because we don't want to get people angry. Oh, people aren't happy. We're going to change everything, right? God doesn't want us to change everything, change away from his word. As we said, this is Christ's church, Christ's teaching, Christ's word. It does not change, even if it makes you unhappy. And undoubtedly, it will make people unhappy. How happy would you feel if you're an unsaved person and someone comes up to you and tells you you're going to hell? That's unhappy. But that's the truth, isn't it? And we got to share that truth, no matter how unhappy that makes people, right? It'd be great if we could just be nice to everybody and say, oh, it's wonderful. You believe in Buddha? Wonderful. God loves you. Oh, you believe in Confucius? Great. You believe in Muhammad? Oh, wonderful, right? Great. Let's all be friends. No, no. We have a duty, a duty even though it leads to conflict, to say, hey, guess what? I might not make you feel happy, but Jesus is the only way, right? It's not, good job, you believe in Buddha. It's not, happy day, you're, you're believing in, you know, Confucius or whatever. It's no. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus.
So that's the church. That's what marks ordinary church. Today, we start on, briefly, with a little time we have left, our relationship with the church. And we started this last time. And I barely rushed through a little bit, and I'll repeat myself a little bit this time too, because that's what happened, right? The church, what is it supposed to be like to us? Well, I think it makes it very clear in the Lord's Prayer what church is supposed to be like, right? You know the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6. He gave, Jesus gave an example, right? It says, Our Father in heaven, right? What does it say in 610? It says, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven, right? We ought to pray every day, according to Jesus, that God's will is done here on earth. Because we know in heaven, God's will is going to be done. That's obvious, right? God's will is going to be done here on earth, too. We ought to pray for that. We ought to want that to happen. Let me ask you a question. Where on earth is the one place where we know God's will will be done? It's not going to be in the school. It's not going to be at your work. It's not going to be at the ballpark. It's not going to be anywhere except for one place. You know what that place is? Right here in the church. When the saints gather together, what do we do? We want to follow God's will. God's will is done right here in church. So if people ask, what is heaven like, Norman? Do you know what heaven's like? Well, I don't know. I have no idea what heaven's like. We will know when we get there fully. But I can tell you what is the closest thing on earth there is to heaven. The church. Right? We know in heaven, God's will is going to be done. And we know in church, it should be the case that God's will is done. It's not supposed to be like anything else in the world, is it? Right? God's church is special. The congregation of all Christians together is special. It's a relationship that we have that we don't have with other people. We don't have that same kind of relationship we have with our coworkers. We don't have that same relationship we have with, you know, strangers on the street. The relationship between brothers and sisters in Christ is a special relationship. One joined together with Jesus as its head. One that's going to be like how it is when we get to heaven. Isn't that what we all want? We want to go to heaven, right? We want to have this wonderful feeling and all that kind of stuff like that. It ought to be a great outpouring of love. Do you love the church? Right? We know in heaven it's going to be full of joy and love and peace and all these wonderful things. Is church like that? Is a church the place that we want to go to? When we witness to people, we tell them, oh, do you really want to go to heaven? Don't you really want to go to heaven, right? Do you really want to go to church? We ought to have that same attitude toward church. Should we not? Should this not be the place where we do love one another? All of us, right? We love the church. Remember, the church is the people. Do we love one another? All of our brothers and sisters right here in this congregation? We ought to, right? All of us here, all the saints here, all the brothers and sisters here, brothers and sisters, we should be lifting each other up, encouraging, loving. That ought to be the way it is, should it not? We ought to love this place. Are we excited to show up here on Sunday morning? We should be, shouldn't we? This is the one time we know for sure we can gather in this fellowship among people we love, among this congregation of people that we know are going to uplift God, right? We don't get that any other time during the week, do we? It's not going to be at your work. It's not going to be at, you know, at your school. 
where people gather together and say, oh boy, we love God, we love God together, worship God together. We are supposed to live in the church, in fact, because we are the church, right? This body of Christ, right? It's our life, right? And I mentioned this last time a little bit, right? It's where we live, we love, we learn, we worship, we serve, we put our heart, our soul, our mind, our body, everything into this church because it's supposed to meet our needs, is it not? When you have a, a congregation, you have love, right? All these people, you know, that's one of our basic needs, right? All these people that care about each other, support one another, right? When you have all these people, you meet your desires. Our desires ought to be Christ-centered, should they not be, right? That we're all working together to meet our Christ-centered desires, right? And our Christ-centered longings, that everyone here ought to be helping us, encouraging us, pushing us to that. And when we have that, all the other things don't matter, right? We ought to have that attitude, that spirit, that goal, right? To care. Not to simply care. Do you even care to show up on Sunday morning? Or is this the thing that you just do out of ritual, out of habit? I think it's a little more true like in uh, some other parts of the United States where it's truly church becomes just a culture. Oh, it's something I do because my parents made me do it and I still do it. I show up on Sunday and that's about it, right? It's not a place I really want to go or want to be, right? But I do it. That's our culture. No. If we don't have an interest in the church, something is going wrong. Either something is wrong with us and we need to evaluate our life or something is wrong with the church, right? And the church is not properly meeting those needs, right? And the church needs to reevaluate itself, right? One of the two things. And that's the two things we've been talking about, right? We've gone over at length what the church ought to be doing, right? So today we talk a little bit about what we ought to be doing, right? And where I talk about all the church and all the problems in churches today. And maybe that's why some people aren't motivated to go there. They have no interest in going there. They don't care about church. We ought to care. We ought to be here. We ought to want to be here. Do we want to be here? Yes, we should. So what does Jesus say? Of course, everything goes back to Jesus, right? What does Jesus say about this relationship? We read the verses today, right? And these verses show a great contradiction. Because we've been talking on and on and on about how wonderful the church is, right? How wonderful this fellowship is. We have love. We have all these great things, this, that, and the other thing, right? We've been saying how great it is. But here's also the truth that Jesus told us. That to really be part of his church, to really follow him, requires a lot of strife. Requires a lot of suffering. Requires a lot of possibly unhappiness. It's kind of a contradiction, is it not? But it says in Matthew 16, verse 24, it says this. Remember, this is the verse right after. We've been reading about the verses where it talked about, you know, on this, on this rock I'll build my church and all that kind of stuff like that that we've been studying the past few times. Right after he says this, he says what? Then Jesus says to the disciples, if any man come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So you want to be a good Christian? You want to be an ordinary Christian? What are the three things Jesus says we got to do? This is what he told his disciples, right? He literally told his disciples these things after talking about the church, right? Number one, you have to deny yourself, right? We talked about all these blessings and whatever, whatever, right? About how great the church is, whatever. Oh, isn't it contradictory to say that church is also full of denying? 
It's not. It's not. God wants us to deny ourselves, meaning to deny all, everything in our lives, our needs, our wants. That's a mark of being an ordinary Christian. That our needs, our desires are put away. And instead, we focus on God's needs, Christ's needs, God's desires, right? A Christian is not about self-fulfillment, right? It's not about self-fulfillment. Some churches are selling people a false, uh, a false narrative, right? They say, oh, come to church and it'll be so great. God will give you everything, right? It's going to be wonderful. You come here, he's, you're going to have a lot of money. You're going to be blessed with great health. You're going to be this and that and the other thing. Those are all lies. How do we know? We read this verse right here, right? This verse right here tells us that being a Christian is full of struggle and strife. It's not about how great it's going to be for me and fulfilling all of my needs and it's going to be wonderful. It's going to be great for me. I said it right at the start. The church is all about how great and wonderful it is for Jesus Christ. It's not for you. In fact, God says for many Christians, there'll be suffering. There'll be unhappiness along the way. But we bear it because, and we do all this self-denial because we follow God, right? That we know that his desires are far superior to all of ours. And when we follow his desires, that's what, that's what leads us into his wonderful, loving environment and all the blessings that come from that. We have to deny ourselves. How hard is it to say that? To deny our wants and all desires. I'll say myself. It's not easy for me to say, right? It's certainly not easy for us to say that I disown my earthly desires. Can we say, truthfully, it doesn't matter you know, how much money I have. It doesn't matter what house I have or what car I drive. It doesn't matter how good my health is. All those things are temporary. In fact, it says in the Bible, those are things that moth and rust doth corrupt, right? Those are earthly things. People focus so much on it, though, right? I focus on those probably more than I should. You guys probably focus on them. You worry about all these things. Earthly treasures. They're meaningless, right? What does God say? Lay your treasures up in heaven. Do we do that? Is our desire, is our goal, is our focus in life accumulating all these earthly desires and earthly fulfillments? How many vacations can I go on, right? How many car houses can I own? Is that our goal? It ought to be meaningless to us. That's what the true Christians ought to say, right? The true Christian isn't worried about how many houses you have. The true Christian is worried about how many people you can go get saved, right? How many people, how many brothers and sisters can you support, right? How many people can you pray for? How much Bible can I use to inspire my life? Can I use to inspire the lives of others? When we have those are our focus, those other things don't matter as much, right? They literally do not matter. You look at people like, Dwayne Melvin lives his life, right? He's a good example of this, right? You go up to his house, he doesn't have the fanciest things, the fanciest TV, or the, or the newest car, or the, 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 the fanciest furniture in his house, and all these kind of things. I don't think it matters to him. I don't think, but I don't think there's many people that I know that are happier than him, right? 
He's happy doing God's work, serving God. Boy, I wish I could have that same spirit and that attitude. I wish everyone here could have that attitude to not be caught up in everything else the world is caught up chasing and wondering after and said denying ourselves of those things and saying forget about it. Let's focus on Jesus. Focus on God's things. That's where we ought to be. Deny ourselves and take up his cross. Oh my goodness. Take up his cross. What does that mean? We know what the cross is, right? The cross for Jesus Christ was his method of torture. The cross for Jesus Christ is where he was executed. The cross means suffering. Real suffering. Now, I think this had a lot more meaning to people in Jesus' day, right? Because literally, when he said this, this is a little warning to them, right? When he tells them that you need to deny yourself and you need to take up your cross, the people like Peter, the people like James and John back then, he was literally warning them of that kind of suffering that's coming for them. And it's true. All these people were martyred. They literally died because they were followers, because they were Christians, right? It's hard for us to relate to this part of it today because we know here in the United States in, you know, 2018, the odds of us being killed for our faith are pretty low, right? The odds of us suffering for our faith are pretty low. But we know that it still happens today, that there are Christians, dedicated Christians that, that face this. And, you know, it's a blessing sometimes to hear from our missionaries, right? And hear updates and their reports about the struggles they go through because there's still people in the world today still facing that, right? All these missionaries going to countries where they face persecution, whether it be Muslim country, communist country, whatever, that literally, quite literally today, they still face torture, execution. They bear that cross, do they not? Quite literally, they bear the same cross that Jesus Christ bore. They face the same trials. That's God's standard for us that we stand strong in the face of trials, sufferings, problems. But that means for us, when we face whatever our struggles are, boy, aren't they small in comparison? Are they not? When we have someone just say something bad about us because we're Christian, that's really nothing. Those are just words, right? But do we stay strong? Can we have that same resolve? Think of us compared to those missionaries where they had to worry about the police coming and arresting them and taking them away. Compare it to us. Is that not a motivation? Jesus said, we've got to take up our cross. We've got to do it the same way our missionaries do on a much less scale, a much easier scale here in the United States. Finally, the last one is the obvious one, follow me. Follow Jesus Christ. I think that's obvious, right? And that leads into what we say here in the next two verses. In six, verses 25 and 26, Jesus says this, continuing our you know, theme of this contradiction, right? Whosoever shall save his life shall lose it. Whosoever shall lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Right? The more and more we struggle for our earthly desires, the farther and farther we get away from God's desires. It's as simple as that. In the, in the largest sense, in the most basic sense, if you're unsaved and you struggle for the things of the world, you won't find God. Didn't Jesus tell that rich one rich man when he asked what he needed to follow him, right? To sell his possessions and to come after him. And he couldn't do it. He couldn't let go of his possessions. 
and he didn't find salvation through Jesus Christ, did he not? Is that not today the same thing? That people can't let go of stuff, whatever it is in their life, they're clinging on to something in the world. I'd love to follow you, Jesus, but I can't give up whatever it is, right? I can't give up this gambling. It's too much fun. I got to keep gambling, God. I can't give it up, so I can't follow you. I can't give up this alcohol. I still drink this alcohol. It tastes great. It makes me feel good. I can't give it up for you, God. This is what I hang on to in my life that pushes us, pushes us further away from him, right? I can't give up the sporting event or whatever, right? I got to stay home on Sundays. I can't watch. I got to watch the World Cup final. I got to watch the football game. I got to do whatever, right? I'm not willing to give it up for you, God. Are there things in your life that you're holding on to like that? Did I just name something that you guys are thinking about? Is there something else in your life that you're clinging on to? That's something that keeps us away from God. When we cling on to that earthly thing, that earthly, earthly desire, the thing that might make you think in your mind, this makes me happy. But in reality, it just pushes you away from God. It says what? It says we must be born again. We die to ourselves, right? We kill our old self. All our old desires, all our old thoughts. We're not like that person anymore. We're born again as a Christian. Born again in Christ, in God's way. All the riches in the world can't change that. Even if you have fulfilled all your earthly desires, you've got all the money in the world, you've got all the houses in the world, you've got all the vacation in the world, you've got all the good health in the world, everything on earth you could imagine, everything great. What does it say? What does it profit a man if he gained the whole world and lose his own soul? All those things mean nothing when you're in hell. Absolutely nothing. They are worthless. The only thing that has worth is what God says is work. It is to follow him, do his will. How does an ordinary Christian do this then? Really simple. Five quick things. Wrap up. We're running out of time. Number one, ordinary Christian is obedient. It's a matter of submission. We follow him, as we've talked about many times already. Ordinary Christian, fellowships. We're talking about fellowship. Church is where we give our life. Where we give fellowship, right? Some people think, oh, I show up here and the fellowship comes to me. That's all I do. I sit here and do nothing. That, that, that's, that's the way it should be, right? Wrong, right? Wrong. Again, these contradictions. Fellowship comes from when we give our fellowship to others. We ought to be the ones going up to the person sitting to your left, right, front, back, saying, brother, how can I pray for you? Sister, how can I support you? What do you need help with? How can I help you? And when we do that, guess what happens? And we have that whole church have that attitude. The fellowship comes to you automatically, right? Because everyone's doing that. When we say there's not enough fellowship, look to yourself first. Are you giving your fellowship to others? That ought to be step one. And then step two, fellowship will come around. It's like a circle. It comes around. Number three, Christian, ordinary Christian submits to authority. We've got to be led, right? That's why we come to church. We have people that are supposed to lead us, guide us in the right way to follow Christ. People will say, I can just sit at home and listen to the message on the internet, and that's good enough, right? Guess what? That doesn't work. Because what authority are you following? Who's the one that's going to be there to tell you when you trip up or do something wrong or to encourage you when you do something wrong or go the wrong path? No one. Because you're staring at a computer screen. You're just listening to the speaker. When you're here, you've got brothers and sisters. You've got a pastor. You've got teachers. You've got all these people guiding you on the right way. Finally, the ordinary church 
ordinary Christian ministers, right? We do what we do to advance Christ. We serve. We evangelize. Pretty simple. And I think you guys know that, right? That we're not here just to sit around and do nothing. We're sitting or we'll come here to serve God. It ought to be that a Christian defines his life by being a Christian. Shouldn't it be? That people look at our lives and say, aha, that guy's a Christian. Or is it that people look at your life and they can't tell? Well, if they can't tell, look at these five factors. Are we doing these things? If you're not, maybe that's why people look at your life and say, ah, I can't tell whether this guy's Christian or not. Are we dedicating ourselves to obeying God, fellowshipping with other Christians, submitting to his authority, doing service, getting people saved, all those things. That is a characteristic of the ordinary Christian. That is the relationship we ought to have with the church to bear our cross for God. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for this time we have here to learn more about what it means to be a church and what it means to be a Christian. It's not, you know, easy, right? You know, but you set up your standards for us. And, you know, it's great to know that we're here in a place where we gather together with, you know, people who fellowship and love and honor you, right? We know that being a church is not all these other things that, that people think it's about. It's really about people who, you know, to exalt Christ, who follow the scriptures, who understand salvation and praise you and spread your word and pursue holiness and are self-denying and are obedient, who follow you through thick and thin, those are the marks of a church and a Christian. May we strive to have those things. May we strive to have those be the marks of our lives. May this church strive to follow that. May every member here strive to follow and fulfill that. And we ask that you help us with this really hard, hard, hard task. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.